Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. After months of negotiations and a lot of late nights, we finally have a deal on New York's $220 billion state budget. It's a week late, and for a few moments this week, it looked like things were going to stretch into next week. But it all came together Thursday evening, and lawmakers started to vote on bills overnight. It's been a very long week in Albany, with a lot of confusion ending in a final budget for New York for the next 12 months. And we were there to watch it all happen. Take a look. When lawmakers left Albany last week, they were hoping to come back to a state budget deal by Monday. But that didn't happen. The legislature started the week in Albany by passing a budget extender, which kept funding for state government flowing and workers paid. Republicans slammed the move, calling it a last-minute fix with no end in sight. Senator Pam Helming. It is incredibly important for us to be able to do our jobs responsibly, to uphold the oath of office that we've all taken. We need to have these budget bills in a timely manner. Having them minutes before it's time to vote on them is not acceptable to anyone. Democrats, who controlled the legislature, had kept budget talks moving through the weekend. But a final deal was held up by disagreements over certain policy items, largely criminal justice reform. Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie told reporters that late additions to budget negotiations over policy slowed things down. I said to you guys, if we were going to be dealing with a budget that's, you know, with lots of conversations around policy, it was going to be it was going to be late. And so here we are, but I, I think we're making progress. Later in the day, an update from Governor Kathy Hochul. It was the first time she spoke in public after the state budget deadline passed the week before. And she said the budget was late because of more back and forth than usual with lawmakers. These are complicated issues. There's a lot of passion behind them. I understand that. So we're going to take the time to make sure we answer all the questions from the members to their leaders, and that's the give and take that's going on. Again, it may not be customary, but I'm demonstrating how I'm governing very differently. And by Monday evening, some light at the end of the tunnel. Senate Finance Chair Liz Krueger, a lead negotiator on the budget, said things were close on controversial items, like a new government corruption watchdog agency and tweaks to bail reform and criminal discovery. The Senate is good on the bail and other pieces of the criminal reform package. But I don't know if the Assembly is, to be fair, and I can't speak for them. On Tuesday, a waiting game. No deal, but close. On criminal justice, making way for the rest of the budget. Senate Deputy Majority Leader Mike Gianaris. I think on the, on the issue related to our criminal laws, there's... Um, as close as you can get to agreement without the bills being printed. So I think we're moving on from those issues onto the rest of the budget. Um, I think we're close on the alcohol to go question. And on Wednesday, silence. Rumors that things were falling apart as lawmakers continued to meet behind closed doors. No update with the budget nearly a week past deadline. Republican Senator Tom O'Mara. Uh, so th this is not a functional way uh, to proceed with a, with a state budget, particularly one the size of New York State's budget that is going to be in the range of $220 billion. And on Thursday, after a lot of long nights, a deal. 
Hochul struck an agreement with lawmakers on a $220 billion state budget, the largest in history, and major changes in policy. On bail reform, judges will have more power to hold people before trial if they're arrested multiple times, accused of a hate crime, or brought up on certain gun charges. Hochul said the changes will strike the right balance between social justice and public safety. We have put forth a comprehensive package that again achieves the continuing the progress we've made in the past to make sure our criminal justice system is fair and we are not moving backwards. We are moving forward with a thoughtful approach. The budget also has some targeted relief for middle income earners. State income taxes will go down for those workers and to address the high price of gas. The state will suspend about 16 cents of taxes at the pump starting in June through the end of the year. Assemblymember Angelo Santa Barbara was an early supporter of that idea. In upstate, let's face it, we commute a lot up here. So we, we all drive to work. We all drive everywhere we go. We get into a car. Uh, so really, particularly upstate New York, commuters, people that are going back and forth uh, to work, that are picking up their kids from school, they're going to see a huge benefit of this. The budget will also make investments in two key areas, child care and home care. With $7 billion over four years, the state will expand child care subsidies to more people and offer grant funding for struggling providers. On home care, $7.4 billion will be used to raise wages for workers who currently earn about minimum wage on average, according to federal data. Hochul again. My own father is being taken care of a number of people around the clock, and we know how critically important they are to families and their sense of security. The budget will also create a new state agency to police ethics and corruption in state government that would replace JCOPE, the state's current ethics agency. Members of the commission would be vetted by the state's law school deans, and the governor would have less control over its leadership. But members of the commission would still be picked by top state officials, including the governor, legislative leaders, the controller, and the AG. Good government groups say that's a problem. Blair Horner from Nyberg. Well, it still leaves the uh, decisions on who's going to sit on the commission, on this new commission, this new ethics commission, leaves the decisions in the hands of the governor and legislative leaders, the attorney general and the comptroller. And these are the people who the agency is supposed to regulate. Restaurants will get a boost as well in the budget with alcohol to go. Drinks will be allowed with takeout food orders for the next three years. And on the environment, voters will get a chance in November to approve $4.2 billion in new borrowing. That money would fund projects to combat climate change, like climate-friendly infrastructure and renewable energy. Assemblymember Anna Kellis says that will make a huge difference down the road. We know for sure that the quality of life that we all experience is going to be rapidly on decline in the next couple decades because of climate change. So if we want to retain the quality that we have right now, then we must invest this money right now. And now it's Friday when we tape the show and there's plenty more in the budget to talk about, including a new stadium for the Buffalo Bills. Let's get into it with this week's panel. Keisha Kluke is from Bloomberg Industry and John Campbell is from WNYC. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This is a packed budget. I should say we're taping on Friday morning. Not all the bills have passed yet, but when there is a budget deal, it 
I don't know. If we had Bill Mahoney from Politico, he could tell us the last time it fell apart after it was announced. <laughs> but we don't, unfortunately. So one of the big parts of this package, John, I want to go to you first, is this criminal justice package. Uh, it's a, a much watered-down version of what Governor Kathy Hochul wanted in her 10-point crime plan. What do you think that means going forward in terms of the criminal justice space? I know the advocates were pushing back on it, but how did we end up? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the criminal justice plan was was really one of one of, if not the biggest holdup to a budget deal. I mean, the governor dropped it on lawmakers, you know, two weeks before the budget was due, if that. And uh, it, it really complicated talks because legislative leaders were already on record saying they did not want to make changes to these bail reform laws, to these right. discovery reform laws. And in the end, you did see, you, you're seeing changes to those. I mean, on the bail side, you're going to see some action toward repeat arrestees. You're going to see some action toward gun crimes. You're going to see some action toward uh, in, ensuring that uh, you know people who who are like I said, repeat arrestees can can be bail eligible. But politically, it is a big deal for the governor because she is getting pushed both in the Democratic primary and the Republican primary from both sides on this <laughs> issue of criminal justice and. She had to do something from a purely political standpoint on that. Whether this satisfies her her opponents, probably not. No. Already not. Definitely not. No. Uh, but you know, th this gives her something to point to. Now that said, you know, we have not seen any data to suggest there's any sort of clear link between bail reform and a spike in crime. And that angers progressives because they and, and public defenders and, and all sorts of people who say, well, why are you trying to roll this back if there is no clear link? So it's it's a it's a difficult line to walk. Uh, but the governor was able to extract some things from the legislature. And that is a, a, a victory for her, even if it wasn't as strong as she originally proposed. I'm interested in the after of all of this. So when this takes effect, uh, if crime rates stay where they are over the next 12 months, does that mean that we didn't need to do this? Or, you know, how is that going to impact down the road? Will we see more tweaks to bail reform maybe next year, something like that? I think that's going to be the interesting part to watch because, as you said, there is not data connecting the rising crime to bail reform. It just so happens that both of those things happened at the same time. I, I don't think we can say that it's definitely not bail reform, but we just don't know is what it comes down to. Keisha, I want to turn to you on a really important issue for New York voters and New York residents, taxes. So does this budget include any... Uh, we said before it includes middle income tax cuts accelerated, but will New Yorkers be experiencing any new costs? Yes. Yeah, so speaking of an election year, um, this budget <laughs> also included a lot of things that are going to help voters in these uh, these kitchen table issues, as they're called. So um, there's 16 cents off gas because they're doing a gas suspension through the end, of, a gas tax suspension through the end of the year. Um, so they'll save at least 16 cents per gallon. Um, localities can also jump onto this, so it could be more. Um, we've got homeowner rebates. They're accelerating the middle class tax cuts. So um, if you're in certain brackets, you'll also see an acceleration on those cuts. Um, there's there's um, tax benefits for farmers. There's tax benefits for cannabis um, companies. Oh my um, God, the money's everywhere. I know, there's just money raining everywhere. <laughs> and um, they really, it seemed like they really tried to put it into the pockets of people who have um, experienced, you know, difficulty since the pandemic, and also um, with the inflation the way that it is right now. You know, that, that's an interesting point: is that there is money everywhere. We had a lot of money, 
But and at the end of the day, there are all these programs that people really wanted more money in, like childcare, home care, things like that. But we didn't end up in a place where those uh, those requests were met. For example, in childcare, I think it's seven billion over four years. Advocates wanted five billion dollars in one year. Uh, Keisha, what do you think that says about negotiations between Hochul and lawmakers? I think that even though it sounds like more money is a good thing, it makes it more difficult to negotiate because everyone does have different things that they want. The Senate wants some things, um, you know, the Assembly, and then of course the governor. So I think that it just shows that even when you have more money, it's not necessarily easier to negotiate a budget. Um, we also had, like you mentioned, health care. Um, she did throw some money towards hospitals, um, money towards retention bonuses for health care workers who, you know, were out there in the thick of it during the pandemic. Um, and then also there was something for, for home health aides. Uh, it was a $3 mi um, increase on their minimum wage, which I saw the press releases last night from groups were pretty angry about it, saying they might as well just cut their hours and stay home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you're going for $15 an hour to $18 an hour. It's a bump. But for what these people do, I think they've argued that they should have more. What they've wanted is 150% of the minimum wage, which would be uh, 2250 if I can do math a little bit right. Close in the New York City area, <laughs> somewhere around there. <laughs> so, John, I want to turn to you on a little bit of politics on this. So we saw a lot of issues where the governor and progressives in the legislature really butt heads. What do you think that means for Hochul's relationship with the legislature this legislative session, and presumably if she wins in November, maybe next year. What does this mean for that relationship going forward? Well, I mean, you want to talk symbolism. When the governor announced this budget agreement, quote-unquote agreement, on a Thursday afternoon, she was not accompanied by the two other parties that are supposedly party to this agreement, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty, And that speaks to some of the difficulties of this, this negotiating cycle. Now, They've been negotiating for weeks of, you know, they, they've butted heads over a lot of different things. Like, I don't know that I would want to be sitting next to the person that I had this intense negotiation with uh, <laughs> right when it's done. But, you know, it does, it, it, it's not all sunshine and rainbows between them right now. And, and, you know, that can be a good thing, quite frankly, because there is supposed to be tension between the, bran the, the branches. I yeah. mean, there is supposed to be a natural system of checks and balances, and there's supposed to be tensions, and there's supposed to be this negotiation. Now, it's also supposed to happen before March 31st, and we were more than a week late with this budget. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's natural. I mean, it's, there are always going to be tensions between the governor and the legislature, and this year is certainly no different. Keisha, I want to give you the last word. We mentioned it in the package right before this segment, but there's going to be a bond act on the ballot, $4.2 billion. Can you give a, a little 30-second rundown of what that money would be used for? Yeah, so it's basically to cl um, combat climate change. It's going to infrastructure for, you know, flooding, um, trying to mitigate flooding, things like that. Um, it's going to try to help the state meet its uh, carbon emission reductions as well. So um, I know advocates were trying to get more money into that. We ended up at 4.2, which is 1.2 billion more than it was originally going to be. Mm. Um, but we'll see if voters uh, decide that it's worth it in November when it's on the ballot. Yeah, that's a big question in this year's election and also a bunch of people are running for office, but we'll get to them sometime down the road. Keisha Kluke from Bloomberg Government, John Campbell from WNYC. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. All right, staying with the budget now, 
Democrats in Albany have total control over the budget process. And that's because they hold a majority in both the state Senate and the Assembly, and they have the governor's office. But despite that, this year's budget talks haven't gone well. And that led to a late budget and a fuzzy picture of what happened behind the scenes in negotiations. For more on all that, I spoke with Assemblymember Ed Raw, the top-ranking Republican on the Assembly Ways and Means Committee, which negotiates the budget. Assemblymember Raw, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I'll preface this by saying we're talking before a budget deal has been announced. We're talking on Wednesday. And that brings up the conversation that I wanted to have with you. So as of today, we are almost a week late on the state budget. You're somebody, you're the top ranking Republican on the Ways and Means Committee, which negotiates the budget. So from your perspective, what does it say about state government right now that we don't have a budget right now about a week after the deadline? Well, I mean, it tells me something's uh, broken. Uh, we've had really single party rule for four years in New York. And, you know, this is the second straight year when it, in a situation where we're doing a budget extender. Um, and I mean, we know that the issues that are out there are really many of them are things that came onto the table late in the process, which I think I have a huge problem with, as do many uh, with regard to transparency. Um, but you know, this is one of our basic functions of our of our legislature and our government and not being able to get it done is, is not good. Yeah. How do you think that we could improve this process? And not obviously not this year because it's almost done, but it seems like every year the budget process is this this process of going behind closed doors, negotiating things in secret, and then things pop out at a moment's notice and suddenly everything happens all at once. How do we make it better? Well, I mean, I... I I'd have to start with, uh, I, I think, more input from you know the rank and file in the legislature, certainly the inclusion of the minority conferences in some of these conversations. Uh, but, but also, you know, I mean, the answer the governor gave the other day saying this is fairly typical. Yeah, that's what the problem is. Um, I think there's been too much of, you know, the players changing, but but the process not. People just say, hey, this is how it is, uh, and, and they accept that. So somebody really needs to just step forward and say, no, we're not going to do it this way. We want every bill you know, introduced by March 28th so it can age for three days uh, in accordance with the state constitution. The public knows what's in them and, and then pass them in that manner. So I, I think one of the players at some point needs to just put their foot down and say, we're not going to do it this way anymore. What do you think that looks like? Because obviously you can't negotiate the budget or any piece of legislation out in you know the middle of the grocery store or anything like that. At some point, something's going to happen privately. So what do you think it would look like to have a budget process that's more transparent, we would know more around the deadline, and hopefully be able to come to a conclusion where you have lawmakers looking at these bills before they actually vote on them? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we do have processes in place like say our conference committees. We had one round of conference committees weeks ago and, and that was really it. Um, you know, at least you can do that process where you come out, come out with your table targets for, for you know, different committees and, and let uh, there be some transparency to the process in that way. I, I, think, I think that goes a long way instead of, you know, using the, um, the conference committees really as kind of, you know, Okay, we're going to do one so that we, you know, we we fulfilled that obligation and then move and then move on to uh, everything happening behind closed doors. You know, it's been, like I said, weeks uh, since we had that one round of conference committees. 
And I should say, you mentioned something before that's really important for viewers to know, is that the minorities in both the Senate and the Assembly are not typically involved in budget negotiations. The majorities block them out. So in a perfect world where you would be able to have some input on this, what would that look like? Would you like to see uh, more, uh, more closed doors negotiations with the majority on a budget? How would you like to see that develop? Well, I, I think including, uh, you know, the mi minority leaders uh, or, or their representatives, you know, in, in some of these major conversations, whether it's um, just bringing, you know, a different perspective, you know, like uh, with with this bail conversation, uh, I, I mean, I hope they're getting input from from, you know, DAs and people in law enforcement. But we have we have many people on our on our uh, side of the aisle in the assembly who um, you know, our former prosecutors, our former law enforcement officers. So when, when you get into those substantive, substantive type of discussions, there, there's an opportunity to just bring extra voices into the room. How much of this do you think is the pandemic? Obviously, there have been restrictions in the Capitol at the start of session. They're a little bit more relaxed now. Uh, certain people, like reporters, still can't go on the assembly for, uh, for an extended period of time anyway. So how much of this do you think is COVID compared to years before? You've been here for a number of years, so you can compare this to when we didn't have COVID. Yeah, I, I, th I think, you know, it's impacting the negotiations less than it has obviously in the last two years uh two years ago obviously it was you know everybody was completely remote and all all that type of stuff uh you know the, the majorities are conferencing in person um people are in and around the capital we have protesters uh here uh, uh again uh you know which was missing uh for for a couple of years so so i i think it still obviously impacts things a little bit i mean i know there's been reports that you know many members of the governor's team, uh, you know, had gotten COVID recently. So there, there's still that out there. But um, I, I do think at some level, that's the COVID thing has become a little bit of an excuse to uh, really just do things in a non-transparent way that they've always been done. You know, an open-ended question for you, which, you know, it's hard to tell, but I don't want to give people a lot of optimism. Do you think that this will ever change? We started this conversation by talking about how things could change, but do you see a path where the majority say, you know, let's open up this process. Let's make it more inclusive, more transparent. Is there a path to that? Well, I'm, I'm always hopeful. Um, I, I don't think that under the current, you know, makeup of state government with uh, one party in control, you know, we're gonna see that happen. Um, but, you know, one thing I'll say with, the newer members in the legislature in, in either party, um, there, there tends to be a lot more people talking about, you know, good government type uh, issues. And like, I'll, I'll give an example, a lot of the newer progressive uh, members, well, we don't agree on much else, um, have talked about, you know, good government, not not making secretive deals, uh, you know, on economic development things and, and, and things of that nature. So, you know, as as the people change in the legislature, uh, like I said, hopefully somebody's willing to to take that first step. Uh, it would have to be a speaker or a majority leader or a governor to say, hey, we're going to open up this process. All right. Well, we got a year to see if things change. That's when the next state budget is due. Assemblymember Ed Roth, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Dan. And now lawmakers will take a two-week break before they come back to Albany to wrap up this year's legislative session that ends in June. 
And there's a lot they could consider in those final weeks, including the All-Electric Building Act. Daryl Camp is here with more. Daryl. Thanks, Dan. While the word budget does indicate a spending plan, policy items without a major impact on state spending are often tied to budget proposals as a form of leverage. Deputy Senate Majority Leader Mike Gianaris says that issues are better discussed without the pressure of a budget deadline. Well, I mean, I, I think our entire point has been that there are a number of issues that don't belong as part of the budget conversation, so we're prepared to have those conversations outside the budget. And I, I think there will be uh, a number of issues that um, were proposed to be part of the budget that won't be, and we'll look forward to talking about them in the next couple of months. Among the items that did not make it into the budget is the All-Electric Building Act. Starting in 2024, all new buildings constructed would be required to run on electric energy only, with some exceptions for feasibility. The intent behind that bill is to help reduce the state's carbon impact. Liz Moran, the New York policy advocate for Earth Justice, says those goals are heavily reliant on buildings moving away from fossil fuels. Statewide, buildings make up 60% of the state's greenhouse gas emissions. That's even larger in New York City. It's 70% of New York City's greenhouse gas emissions. New York City already did this. New York City is going to be banning fossil fuels for new construction starting in 2024. So it's a real letdown if the rest of the state doesn't follow suit. Opponents of the All-Electric Building Act say it's too much too soon. Republican Senator Mike Bartucci, a member of the Housing Committee, says the environment is important, but changes have to be made in a more fiscally responsible and pragmatic way. This is really just going to shift demand from buildings onto the grid and again, by extension, the fossil fuel plants. Most of our energy right now is not generated by renewables. Maybe this makes sense in the future. I think we should be moving toward cleaner goals, but I don't believe this is the solution. Assemblywoman Linda Rosenthal is a Democrat from Manhattan and a member of the Subcommittee on Renewable Energy. She says the bill will have a relatively low fiscal impact on the state and does expect it to be discussed in Albany post-budget. And I think that people around the state are not fully informed yet about the benefits and actually the need to go all electric to save our planet. So I think we'll be having a lot more discussions about that post-budget. After the budget is passed, there are only a few weeks of session left before lawmakers leave for the year in June. Will the All-Electric Building Act pass before then? Only time will tell. All right. Thanks, Daryl. Something to keep an eye on. In the meantime, join us next week for an extended interview with Congressman Lee Zeldin, the Republican Party's favorite for governor this year, and his running mate, NYPD veteran Allison Esposito. We'll see you then. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.